This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. So having, like I laid out the numbers for you. Aaron Judge's most productive, he's your most productive player, not debatable. His most productive spot in the order is batting leadoff by a, a good range, good margin. Clear, not debatable. But now because the Yankees didn't score runs in, in game two and the offense stalled, never mind the fact that Judge is 0 for 8 in the series and 1 0 for 7, now it means that you have to shake up the lineup. And you have to shake it up to such a degree that you put a guy who is in the, I mean, he's, he, you play him for his defense. You hope that with his speed and, and his contact skills that he can, you know, not be a complete offensive liability. But he's primarily not, he's not an offensive, you're not counting on his offensive contributions to help you win games. And now, because you lost one game and scored two runs and looked anemic, you want him to bat leadoff. Seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. I mean, what, I mean imagine the, the message that also sends. Hey, here's something we've been doing here for like a month. Uh, because, you know, when DJ LeMahieu got hurt and it was clear he was not going to be back here for a while and was not a productive player even when he was in there. We moved Judge to the leadoff spot. We've lost one game now, so now let's shake it all up. You know what? Maybe this is the night where we go the old Billy Martin route and you just pick the names out of the hat. Maybe. And I, I will say this as well, foreshadowing, if it were that the Yankees' season were to lose here or lose anywhere. If I have to hear one more time about, well, the Yankees rely too much on the home run. I, ne- I never want to. The only time they score runs is when they rely on the home run. Who have been their productive? John Carlos Stanton. You can't really have a guy who's more home run than bust, a home run and bu- or bust than him, and he's been productive. Judge, although he's not been productive so far, he's your best player. You'd have to say he's a home runner. Um, uh, Rizzo, home run or bust. Those are the guys. It's the other guys. It's the, all the other guys who are bust. That's the problem. And they have certainly tried to make the team more like people have wanted, right? More play to contact. You got to grind out at bats. You got to grind. How's that worked out? Not so good. A lot of the same results. So uh, I think it's legally time for us to take a little break. We'll get back to the Yankees a little bit later on. We'll certainly take your calls. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. But uh, I did want to get in the Jets because the Jets Packers tomorrow, obviously we'll have the game right here on 98.7 FM, ESPN New York with our coverage. Uh, what time is our coverage tomorrow? Is that, uh, is that a 1 o'clock game tomorrow? Or is that a 4 o'clock game tomorrow? We'll check on that. But whatever. Um, you'd have to say that this very well could be the biggest game of the Joe Douglas era so far. Now, that's kind of faint praise because it's not like there's a long list of candidates before that. But you take a look, right? After the last couple of weeks, the performance they put up last week, finally winning a division game, another big fourth quarter, you know, uh, winning back-to-back game. I mean, you might be able to win three games for the first time in forever, and you get through this stretch of games where when the schedule came out, what was the focus? Oh, my goodness, look at those first four games. Oh, my goodness, those first four games. How are they going to be able to they have to play the AFC North? And then when you kind of get digging into the weeds a little bit and you saw, oh, right, Deshaun Watson's going to be suspended for one of those games. The Steelers are probably not going to be that great of a team anyway uh, and might very well be playing a rookie quarterback or Mitch Trubisky. Either way, right? Like that's not really the gauntlet of the schedule that people were making it out to be. It's those second five games that really look like they could tell the tale. But all of a sudden, and again, it's a week-to-week league, and 
the Jets have been so bad for so long, it's not going to take you a lot to start to get you to feel good. But there's some legitimate reasons for optimism. This is not just, hey, you know, things have been so bad for so long, I'm just looking for it. I'm looking to convince myself uh, for any reason at all. No, there's some, some realistic reasons for optimism. And it's not a lot of the things that people are pointing, oh, the fourth quarter dominance, which really has been more of a statistical uh, kind of fluke. The real reason for, for optimism is, is it's not just that you have a couple of young players who look good. You look like you have some actual foundational pieces. Like living in the draft and going through the last where you're having multiple picks, high picks every single year, you now look like, and again, it's early, it's five weeks, you don't want to get carried away, which saying that to Jet fans sometimes uh, it falls on deaf ears, but between Sauce Gardner and Quinn Williams and Brees Hall and Vera Tucker and Garrett Wilson, it looks like the old line might, uh, again, it's only one game, you don't want to get carried away, but might finally starting to be coming into focus where it might be stable. There's, that's the reasons for optimism, that this now, you now look like you have a little bit of something in place where it might be sustainable and it's not just about, hey, this was a good game on this one day where you might be able to repeat this formula time and time again. And I'm not saying you're going to win 10 games or you're going to go to the playoffs. That still might be a bit off, and we'll find out over these next five games of just how good the Jets actually are. But there, this is much more uh, a reason for optimism than things that people have tried to put, like last year, right? The end of last year with Zach Wilson. People, wow, look how much, how much better he has been in the second half than he was in the first. Well, yeah, but that was mostly because in the first half he was really bad. Well, look, we won four games as opposed to winning two games. Yeah, okay, but that's not really the, the progress you're looking for. You're looking for actual foundational pieces that, you know what, and for the long haul, these guys are actually going to be able to turn this franchise around. And the, 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 the Jets have a lot of young players now over these last three drafts where it starts to, you know, maybe this is starting to have a term. And it's not just about this guy looks okay, this guy looks – no, these guys look like foundational pieces. Now, the problem is with Jet fan, you would have to say the Jets are the most manic fan base in this town. Like Nick fans, they always think it's better than it is. Nick fans are wildly optimistic. Yankee fans, they think the team, when things go south, you would think that the team finished in last place every single year. Met fans, I would say, have the biggest glass chin of all the fans in this town. Like all year, they'll tell, oh, no, this is different. This year's different. And then when it goes south, ah, I knew it was going to go south. Like, so to me, they have the biggest glass chin. But with the Jets, it's either we're going to the Super Bowl or fire everybody. So we'll see if they can go. I mean, forget it. If you think that the narrative changed on the Giants after beating the Packers, and rightfully so, that was a great win, fantastic performance in London, down 17-3, big second half, amount of injuries. But if you think that the narrative changed on the Giants after that win, if the Jets go out there and win this game against the Packers tomorrow, whoo boy, Lord, this town, Jet fans have been, I mean, they have been waiting a very long time to have something legitimate to hang on to, and this would absolutely be something legitimate to hang on to. And the other thing that I think that is important, and we're going to talk uh, Jets with uh, Connor Rogers coming up at 445. He uh, is part of the uh, Jets pre and post on SNY. I know that if you watch Zach Wilson here the last two weeks, and it's only two games, that you're not going to be, I don't think, blown. you shouldn't be blown away. 
But to me, that's what's actually positive is that you're not, you're not just sitting here and watching him go out and make a great throw here or a great throw there. It seems like the way that he is operating is completely flipped from last year. Last year, the things that got you excited about Zach Wilson was that he would have an individual play that he could just kind of rely on his physical talent. Play breaks down. He's outside the pocket, thrown off his back foot, and he throws a laser down the field. But it's kind of hard to really, that, you, don't, you don't fill a playbook with plays like that. You have to be able to make the routine plays, and that's what they were trying to get him to do last year, and he really wasn't able to do that. Like, you don't need to be Superman. You just have to, like, stay on schedule, make the throws that you're supposed to, and I think that that's where you're seeing his success so far. So even though overall the numbers wouldn't tell you, oh, my gosh, wow, he's, you know, he's a next Patrick Mahomes, this to me is the first step of progress from where he was last year to where he is this year and only two games in. But to come in and play the way that he has, the Jets have won two games, and they're not winning them because of him, but at least they're not losing them because of him. That is the key. So we'll see if that can continue this week against the Packers defense that's far more talented than that has played. But this is now the gauntlet for the Jets. This is going to tell you where the, the, you know, when we broke down the Jets' schedule beforehand, you looked at the first five games and those second five games. Those second five games, to me, that was the real, and this is what it's about, at Green Bay, at Denver, Pats, Bills, Pats. Green Bay coming off a loss. You're on the road. Tough place to play. You know they're ticked off. They've not played well. Rodgers did not play well last week. Is a little banged up. If you're going to break out, this is this to me. This is not. It's not a game where I expect the Jets to win. But could they? Absolutely, they could win this game. Packers have not looked like the same. I think a lot of people are still thinking the Packers are the last year's Packers. They're not. And Denver certainly. Woof. That one when the schedule came out, you're like, oh, how are you going to win in Denver now? You might not have to score that many points to go win in Denver. So this is the gauntlet now for the Jets, and it might kind of tell the tale. Like that last five games of the schedule, those, those ones you would think you're going to have some winnable games in there. But how many winnable games you can get here this next five weeks, that's going to be uh, – you've seen how much things have changed over the last two weeks. You go get a win this week, oh, things are going to even change even more. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, John is in Atlanta. John, you're next up. Yeah. Hello, how you doing? I think it's actually gone, but uh, hey, guys. Hey, listen. Love the New York Sports Talk Radio. It's nothing like when the New York teams are doing well. It's very good for the national scene. It's very good for the local scene. But I just want to pivot a little bit to uh, Sunday Night Football. I'm a Cowboy fan, and I really want to get your take on the matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. My take on it is I think about take about, take a look at the body of work. Body of work with the Dallas Cowboys, and, you know, even though it's led by Cooper Cup, and that's a whole other story in itself. But we start off the season with the Tampa Bay, a loaded Tampa Bay Buccaneer team that really gave us the business. But, you know, we hung in there until Dak, but that was fine, learning curve. But we beat the Super Bowl champion Rams. We beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who also was in the Super Bowl. We beat the first-place New York Giants. Yes, I'm going to give them that. I'm sorry, they're not first place. They're second no, place. Still very good, Gordy record. And, um, you know, we we, we we looking pretty good, driven by our defense. How do you feel we're going to fare against the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, I look, the Cowboys have lived on their defense. John, thanks for the phone call. Um, you know, the defense has been outstanding. Uh, the problem is, is with Cooper Rush, they have one way to, you know, like he's made some nice high leverage throws. I don't know that he's going to continue to make those throws. 
Uh, and I do think, you know, the thing about the Eagles is they have, with the, the weapons that they have on offense and the way that they play defense, they have, they have a variety of ways to beat you. Uh, right now, the, the Cowboys have one way to beat you. Uh, and until they get Dak Prescott back and, 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 and flowing again, um, I don't think that this is the best time for you. I, you know, I know that there's been like, hey, if, if Cooper Rush wins this game, maybe you keep him. No, that's, that's ridiculous. He's done a fine job given what he's been asked to do. And the fact that you've not lost the game with him, fantastic. But no, you, you know who your quarterback is. And to get to the level of the Eagles, uh, I think you're going to have to have uh, more than just one way to, to win a game, which is keep it close, hope that your defense can force a turnover to, and uh, you know, limit those explosive plays because the Eagles, they certainly can live with those. Uh, Richard is in Manhattan. Richard, what's going on, my friend? Gordon, you know, today's Yankee game tonight. This feels exactly like 24 years ago, 1998. We had that great season. It also was a Saturday night at Cleveland. I think it was best of seven, though, at the yes, time. It was. The Yank- yep. Oh, so you know the game, the El Duque yep. game. Yep. So Severino's got to pull an El Duque. Not, you know, it's not quite the same, but that Yankee team, if they would have lost that game, boy, oh. that they would have been down three to one, and uh, it would have been tough. But I remember that, and El Duque came up big, and we tied the series. And then I think we won the next two. So I think we won four out of six that yep, time. Yeah, absolutely. And that was and after that, 97, of course. That was the five-game series. Sandy Alomar Jr., of course, had right. a big home run off right, Mo and right. everything else. So right. we were still scared. And Cleveland still had Manny. Manny was yep. still on that team. Oh, I mean, they had a great line. You know, Tome right. and everything else. I mean, they were. Payega and all those guys. And Tome. Wow. So that's what tonight – now, Cleveland is not as imposing, but the urgency is still there for tonight's game. So that's going to be a big, big – I mean, tonight is every – you know, it's funny. The Yankees played one game in eight days, and now they have a possibility of playing four games in four days. I mean, it makes no sense. Really, it makes no sense the way the baseball schedule scheduled the uh, playoffs. Actually, what they did was – the way they set it up, they tried to make it so that these the first-round games, teams would be at a disadvantage, but they really weren't because there were days off, off days, and then the rain came into it with the Yankees. But, uh, you know, it really didn't give much of an advantage to the seeded teams, which I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know if – I'm sure Major League Baseball wants Yankees-Dodgers or Dodgers-Houston or at the least Yankees in Atlanta. They want the big names in the series. But I think the rest of the country, the fans, want to see San Diego, want to see Cleveland. You know, they want to see the upsets. I think so. So, you know, it's like the NCAA tournament. You don't want to see, you know, you want to see bracket busters. You don't want to see anybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, you like it. You like the upsets when they come, but then, you know, they can lead you to some, you know, less than stellar matchups later on. Right. You want to have a little bit of a balance. Yeah, you want an upset here or two, but you still want the big teams. But in the end, they want... They do want Duke versus North Carolina in your final eight and all. Yeah, no, I do understand that. But it seems like there's no real – you know, Gordon, there's been 19 postseason games so far since last week, 19. Ten ten have been won by the home team. So they're only 10 and 9. So I don't think – they've got to reexamine that. The home field is not much of an advantage, and especially the second round – where it's only three out of the five, it's really not that big an advantage, unless they don't want to give them that big an advantage, which is fine too. I think they deserve it. The seeded teams should have it. To me, in my mind, should be able to flow right in. You know, to me, the final four should be, of course, 
the Yankees in Houston and L.A. against Atlanta. But, you know, I don't know. Television, of course, wants that. But who knows if the rest of the country, who knows if baseball really wants it? Because I think they do better, more following when the, te- the top teams lose. You know? uh, I, don't know. I, I, I would think that they would do better nationally with uh, Dodgers in there or no, Yankees in there. But no, as far as fo- following, oh, Gordon, you got to admit, when the NCAA tournament comes, like who followed, uh, uh, what was the team for? Uh, St. Peter's. Come on. Yeah, I no, but I mean, that's thing. a little bit different because, you know, you, have a, you, you still have the big teams there. Right, uh, right. And you, you know, but, I, I don't know how, uh, you know, again, I'm not a ratings expert. Richard, thanks no, for the phone call. But, no. you know, like, you know, getting the, the is a good story about the Padres or if the Mariners were to come back and, and win. But I think that that would, uh, that would impact ratings um, for them. And, and just to get back to that, that, that Indians team back then in 98, I mean, no, they could absolutely uh, thump. They still had Kenny Lofton back then. They had David Justice back then. Manny was a was a menace. They had, I think they still had Mark Witten back. I mean, they had a, they had a murderous row of a lineup back then. And that's true. I mean, the Yankees lost that game three. I think they lost game two in extra innings and then they lost game three. Uh, I think Pettit started game three and then they had Duque on the mound in game four. They get the shutout. I think it was either two nothing or four nothing. And uh, away you go. They won that series in six games. And that was really the, um, that was that was the crux of that '98 team, right? They win all the games in the regular season, and then they get into the playoffs. They're down two-one, and everybody's like, "Oh my God!" But that was really kind of like the last challenge because the Padres uh, were not much of a challenge in the uh, World Series. Yankees swept. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Now the uh, Phillies have just tacked on another run. They lead the Braves five-two as they play bottom six. Still. Runners at first and third. I mean, I have not focused on this game exclusively, obviously, because the show has been on. But, man, it looks like the Braves have really kicked it around in the outfield today. Like, every time I look up, it seems like somebody's kicking a ball or a ball's taking a bad bounce and they're running after it and everything else. So, uh, yeah, it looks like, uh, I mean, again, if you need any further proof, I, I know that we don't go on proof anymore, that we just base our opinions on what we believe and then we find the evidence later. But... You can't really build a team and, and, and have a foolproof plan for October success. And if there's any better evidence of that than Padre, uh, possible NLCS of Padres Phillies. The Phillies did everything they could to basically give away uh, a playoff spot in the last couple of weeks of the regular season practically. And here they are, hitting home runs, scoring runs, about to oust the Braves. And... I mean, there's part of you, if you're a Met fan, I would think. And we're going to talk Mets at uh, 6 o'clock with Pat Rangazzo, uh, who covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated, that maybe if the Padres were to get to the NLCS, that you might be able to feel a little bit better about how your season ended, right? Because it's not like, hey, you know, the Padres, uh, you know, they're for real if they get, to, you would think, right? At least you feel that more of that way if they, if they get to the NLCS. Uh, it wasn't just that, you know, you flopped. It's that they're a pretty good team. But the fact that the Phillies might also meet them there, and you know that if you had just simply won a game in Atlanta, that you could have been facing off against the Philly, oh, that's got to eat at you. It's got to eat at you. And, and look, one of those two teams is going to go to the World Series. So, uh, and it certainly seems like uh, it's going to be a painful, 
off season for for the Mets of whoever it is that go, right either it's the team that you were clearly better than all regular season in the Phillies who was clearly the third place team in that division the you know Braves Mets Mets Braves it, the third place that was not really up for debate it was always Phillies so it's either going to be them or it's going to be the Padres of the team that asked you so that's that's got to be a little painful as well all right one eight hundred nine one nine ESPN is the telephone number I do want to touch on the Giants as well. And uh, we talked about, you know, the Packer win making you look at them uh, differently, right? Like up until this point, it's been like a nice little story. Oh, you won this game, you won that game. But that Packer game, the way you were able to do it against who you were able to do it against, uh, clearly you, you, you look at this giant season, I think, differently as a result, right? You look at the coach and what he's been able to do, and you know that this is a coaching league And I thought The Athletic brought up a very good point about Brian Dable's success. Dable, he gets the job, right, because he's like this offensive mind. And when you have a coach who's like this offensive mind, it's hard for those guys, I think, a lot of times to give up play-calling duties. Dable's not calling plays. And he, he took the tact of, hey, I'm the head coach. I'm going to I'm going to over I'm going to be the overseer, right? I'm not going to be just simply the play caller. I'm going to be overseeing everybody else's. I'm going to let my coordinators do their job, but I have to be the head coach. It's not just about me calling the plays on offense and not focusing on anything else. And maybe that's part of the reason why he has done such a good job in the uh, in the smaller aspects of the job that are the bigger aspects of the job, right? Clock management, um, having the team focused in, in individual moments late in games where they're not, things are not lost in the sauce, and the fact that he is not just simply you know, focusing on his play. And you look at some other guys who are first-time head coaches, offensive-minded guys who have been, who are play callers, who they have, had, they have got lost. I mean, you know, Nathaniel Hackett with Denver, that's been a complete mess. And even Josh McDaniels, who hits his second time around, but you see Vegas blowing big leads, and you just wonder if he were not simply focused on playing, calling plays and how quickly that goes by um, and, and all of your attention being focused on that, would you be able to be – would the overall product be better? Uh, because clearly if we're talking about the coach of the year right now, the runaway favorite, at least right now, things can always change, would have to be Brian Dable with what he's done with his Giants team because there's nobody anywhere – even the most optimistic Giant fan who thought, you know, yeah, through five games, I ex- fully expect us to be sitting at 4-1 and one and coming off a win over the Packers in London. So with that win, you know, the, the conversation has quickly shifted to, if you're saying that that win changes the narrative, the narrative has to be, are, are the playoffs realistic? And I think, yeah, I think you'd have to say that they, pro- they are. Now, are they, expe- you know, the difference between being expected and being realistic it's all about whether or not the Giants are going to be able to keep this up because, um, you know, they're, they're, I was talking about the Cowboys before and how they're winning with their backup quarterback. This is the Giants' starting quarterback, uh, and their, their, their margin for error has been very slim. Now, it's all worked out so far, but that doesn't mean that it's going to continue to work out that way. And with the amount of injuries that they've had, you're hoping to be able to get a little bit healthier but it doesn't necessarily mean that those injuries are going to stop either, right? Like the overall total amount of injuries and teams generally don't get healthier. You're hoping to get some guys back, sure, but the wear and tear of a season when the talent is not exactly uh, something that's on your side makes you wonder of whether or not the Giants are going to be able to keep this up. 
The goal of this season, though, the first goal was to evaluate, and not just the players, but the coach. And I think that at least through five games, man, uh, what a home run. What, what a home run the Giants have hit with, with Brian Dable. And it just kind of – it does make you wonder, like – you know, we see the, so many guys get the jobs because they're the offensive-minded guys and they can call this play and that play. And, I mean, look, the, the play calling has been excellent for the Giants as well on offense. They've shown creativity. They, they've coached, right? That's what they've done. I heard somebody somewhere saying about, well, you know, the Giants are going to get done with smoke and mirrors. Isn't that coaching, right? Like coaching is smoke and mirrors. Like I don't care if it's smoke and mirrors. I don't care if it's hocus pocus. I don't care if it's sleight of hand. Yeah, taking your group and tailoring your game plan to their strengths and weaknesses, I think that's kind of what coaching is. It's not just about having some unbelievable system and being like, hey, you're going to do this, this, and this. It's about taking the players that you have and being able to say, okay, I can change my system so that I'm accentuating whatever their positives are. So as you get ready to face off against the Ravens team, we'll do the picks a little bit later on. And since I haven't been on, I haven't been able to say this. What a sensational job I have done in the pick so far. Oh, my goodness. Have I been slaying it? Absolutely slaying it. So uh, we'll get to the Giant pick a little bit later on. But obviously a very big game this week for the Giants. You hope that they can keep it going. And, of course, the whole Wink Martindale storyline of the revenge game and everything else, it's going to be fast. You know, the Giants have made it so that they're actually an interesting watch. And it's been a long time since they've been able to do that. And I would say – you know, for so long, it would be the Giants would play at one time and the Jets would play at another time. And then over the last few years, I don't know when exactly it was, but all of a sudden, they both have been playing at 1 o'clock. And when they've been both terrible, you know, like, let's get both of the terrible games out. I, I get it. But now that if, if this is true and the Jets and Giants are going to actually be pretty good, they got to go back to – you can't have both games going on at the same time. you got to have one at 1 and you have to have one at 4 you got to figure that out. I don't think they can do that now this year, but they're going to have to do that down the road because you can't be – I already got the ADHD. I don't need anything else, and i got all the games going on at the same time. I can't be focused on both games uh, at the same time. So hopefully at some point here, you know, this is not just going to be a fluky thing where in a couple of weeks we're right back to where things were before and the Giants can sustain this and, and maybe the Jets can as well. Uh, the one other conversation that I do think that people have been having about, you know, we all knew coming into the season, what was the one conversation? Oh, Daniel Jones. What's the future of Daniel Jones? Uh, to me, that's not nearly the uh, fascinating conversation of Saquon Barkley's future. That one, to me, is much more of an interesting question because that one's much more open-ended. With how the Giants are playing and how Daniel Jones is playing, you'd have to say that there's a better, you know, he's increasing his odds that he's going to be back because not only is he playing well and, and you're winning games with him, but with each win you get the options to replace him are going to be less, right? You're not, you know, coming into the year, if you thought, oh, the Giants are going to have this terrible year, they're going to be picking top five, top seven, top eight. Oh, they can get their quarterback there. It's pretty clear, unless, you know, the roof caves in, which is always, I guess, a possibility. The Giants aren't going to be picking top five, top seven, top 10. They might be 15, they might be 16, and that doesn't remove the possibility, but it does lessen the possibility that you're going to be drafting a quarterback or that your options are going to be available to you that you're going to be able to, to, to move off Daniel Jones. The Saquon Barkley conversation is far more interesting to me because it, it really kind of depends on what it is that he is looking for. Is he looking to stay with the Giants and he sees that there's more value here? Or because he's a running back and, you know, all that he's gone through, is he just simply looking to cash in? Because if he's just simply looking to cash in, as great as he has been this year, 
we've seen playing at the top level of the running back second contract is almost always a mistake, especially for a, a rebuilding team that the Giants are still going to be no matter how this season kind of plays out. Even if the Giants win eight, nine games this year, even if they get into the playoffs this year, investing a ton of money in a running back on a second contract, even as great as Saquon has been and very well might be the comeback player of the year and all these different things, and he has been the offense, uh, that would still be probably a mistake. And I would doubt that Joe Shane, in his heart of hearts, that's the way he's going to go about building his team. Now, if he's willing to take maybe a little bit of a, of a discount here and he's looking for a good contract that can keep him here and it's not top end of the market, maybe that's a possibility. But that, to me, is a far more interesting conversation than Daniel Jones because that one is far more open-ended and can go a lot of different ways. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go back to uh, the phones. We've got to Fred is in Manhattan. Fred, you're next up on ESPN New York. Yeah, hi. Um... Great show. Uh, I would like to give my opinion about uh, Judge batting on the leading spot. Yeah. I think that when he was pursuing the record, I think that was a great idea, and it worked because as a leadoff hitter, he was seeing far more pitches than at any other position. But now things have have changed, and now this is the the playoff where you have great pitchers. You're facing great pitchers. And he, being the best player in the team, I think he should be batting. He should be batting third on okay. in the order. All right, Fred. Therefore, All right, let's, I, let's, I, let's play the I game. Agree with, who, who's going to bat? Who, if you're going to have him third, who are you going to oh, have oh, batting that's lead to, off? That's up to Boone. That's what he makes. No, 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 no. But you're you're the one suggesting it. Okay, so who do you want to bat lead off for the Yankees? Uh, Aaron Hicks, Boone comes to Fred in Manhattan Hicks, tonight. Hicks and is says, fine. Hicks. Aaron Hicks. Uh, he, yeah, Aaron Hicks on okay, the first you want on the Aaron first Hicks hole. batting leadoff. So Aaron Hicks, who has not even played in the first two the games, second, is fine with me. Who's and who's then, second? Uh, and then Josh, and then Stanton. Okay, who was second, Fred? I missed it. Uh, the second will be Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres, thirty-five walks yes. on the season. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, look, Fred. That's uh, that's one and, way to go. No, but I I also have uh, 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 something else to add. Okay, go ahead. Give and it to that, me. And that is that. Uh, Arod was talking about comparing this to a chess game, and he was saying that the most important piece on the board that has to be protected is the queen. The queen is the most powerful piece on the board in chess. What you protect in chess is the king, not any other piece. Okay. The king is taken, end of the game. Okay. So thanks for taking my call. All right, Fred, I, f- I appreciate you making the phone call. Uh, look, uh, you want to go with uh, Aaron Hicks and Glaber Torres batting 1-2. That, that is one way you could go. Aaron Hicks, certainly, he, he can get you uh, a walk. Um, that's about all he can do. Uh, he's been, I mean, his offensive season has been horrendous. Uh, and I think that, I, I'm guessing, I, I'm, you know, I'm like, I, again, maybe I'm going out on a limb. I, I'm guessing if you batted Aaron Hicks leadoff, I don't think the Yankee fans would be happy with that. I'm just guessing. I'm just spitballing here. And I, and I wouldn't say that they were necessarily wrong. Again, if you want to take a look at the actual numbers, and it's not, it's not great, I get it, that you don't have any other options. The best option for the Yankees is having Aaron Judge hit leadoff. We, ha- we have actual numbers of what that looks like, and that's his most productive spot. So if you want to get somebody on base 
Who is your, like when you're talking about a leadoff hitter, you want that leadoff hitter to set the table. Well, Aaron Judge does definitely set the table. And you do have other guys in the, you know, he's not the only one. So if he's setting the table for Anthony Rizzo or Giancarlo Stanton or, or Glaber Torres or, or any of those type of things, um, he, he could certainly do that. He's your best speed guy, right? First to third. If he gets a walk and you get a base hit and you can put a guy in scoring position that way, obviously a home run. That's not bad in the first thing right out of the box. So, you know, look, there's a lot of ways that you can go, but the numbers are the numbers. And when, and when DJ LeMahieu went down, that was the Yankees' best option as a leadoff hitter. So when that went down, they went with Judge, and it's kind of worked out. It's kind of worked out. All right, one 919 espn is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, more of your phone calls. Giants, Jets, we'll talk with Connor Rogers coming up next. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Talking some football, Jets, Giants. No one better to talk about the Jets with than Connor Rogers, who was a part of the Jets pre- and post-game show on SNY and is nice enough to uh, give us a couple of minutes this uh, this afternoon. Connor, what's going on, man? Gordon, always good to talk to you, man. How are you? Now, before we get to the Jets, I got a big question for you. Does the Phillies getting to the National League Championship Series sting more than the fact that the it looks like the Padres could – like the Padres ousting your Mets – you can, you know, you can take a little bit of solace. Hey, they didn't just beat you; they beat the Dodgers as well. But is some of that taken away if the Phillies hold on to this lead and also get to the NLCS? Man, I don't think so. I'd rather see the Braves lose. I think any real Mets okay. fan, any true Mets fan, has that has that Braves hate in their heart. I, I look at it, and you know, the Mets every time they got to square off against the Phillies this year, they took care of business. I think they actually won fourteen of nineteen. Yep, or absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they like that against Philadelphia. Yeah, so when you look at it like that, I just I just think playoff baseball is, I don't want to say fluky, but anything can happen in such short series with such high stakes. And uh, it looked like Strider was completely out of gas yesterday. And, you know, the Mets didn't take care of business because they had the same problems with Scherzer and a lot of their starters. But at the end of the day, I would rather see the Braves get knocked out by literally anybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're talking with Connor Roger here, 98.7 FM ESPN New York. All right, so Sunday, Jets, Packers, I floated this earlier. I thought at first, you know, ah, that's a kind of a hot take. But then the more I thought about it, I think it's kind of true. Is this the biggest game of the Joe Douglas era so far? Not a hot take at all. Uh, no way. It's absolutely. The Jets are 3-2. and two. You win this game, you're thinking playoffs. What else is there to say? You're thinking playoffs. For the Jets to be even thinking playoffs in the Joe Douglas era, that hasn't even – they haven't even sniffed that yet. Their season's been over most of the time, the second week of October. So when you look at it like that, you're going on the road to one of the hardest places to play. The Packers do not lose at Lambeau unless it's the playoffs. So uh, this would be a massive win that springboards you to a schedule where Denver looks awful. There's no reason you can't at least split with New England this year if you're actually for real like that. And then the back half of the schedule, you get teams like the Lions, Jacksonville, Chicago, teams that when you look at the Jets' timeline, they should beat those teams. So – Absolutely, Gordon. This is the biggest game of the Joe Douglas era. Uh, every game going forward is for the Jets because this is the first year in a very long time that they will be on the in-the-hunt graphic early in fall. Yeah, and uh, you know, coming into this year, I, look, it was about results. You have to start to see some, some evidence that it is actually turning. But I think 
Coming into the year, I think the main thing you were looking for was progress on the overall talent. And at least, again, it's five games. You don't want to get too carried away. You take a look at this Jets roster and, and some of the, not just young players or good players, but it really kind of feels like foundational pieces between Sauce Gardner or Vera Tucker or Quinn Williams, who's been here for a while, and, and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. It really feels like for the first time in a long time, the, Jet, the Jets are actually a talented team. Yeah, I think that's the important part, right? That what you're building, those early returns look good. And the fact is, I mean, their young players are the reason they're winning these games. And it doesn't matter if it was, you know, a miracle against the Browns, a, a third-string quarterback for the Dolphins. you got to take care of business, and that's something the Jets haven't been able to do for a while. And when you just look at the guys that are carrying them to these wins, it's Elijah Vera Tucker playing a different place on the offensive line at a high level every single week. Zach Wilson taking care of the football, and then the offensive skill guys that are very young uh, being able to take over games. Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and, of course, what Sauce Gardner has done at corner. They've spent a lot of money on the D-line, and they're finally seeing the, the returns on that as well. So that's the most important thing is you have a young nucleus that is uh, – gives you some financial flexibility because most of those guys outside of Quinn and Williams are not due for contract extensions that you could be a sustainable winner for the next couple of years at some point. Well, we can't have the conversation for very long without having to obviously talk about the quarterback. Zach Wilson's been back the last two weeks, and it almost feels like, Connor, that he, he's kind of flipped from where he was last year. Like last year, the successes he had was because of his individual talent, where this year – it's about him staying on schedule, making the routine plays, which was kind of the message last year as well, but it was just, you know, the game was moving a little fast as a rookie and, and the talent was not where it was uh, last year. How do, you, how do you view what you've seen from Zach Wilson these two weeks? I think what I see is they finally have built an infrastructure where a quarterback doesn't have to be Superman week in right. and week out. And there, it's the NFL. There's going to be weeks that – that is that happens. That's just what you run into. There's no way around it. At times, your quarterback, and that's why some of these guys are paid $50 million a year, has to single-handedly take over and win you football games. But do you want to be doing that for all 17 games of the year? No, nobody can. Not even Mahomes, not even Josh Allen. You just can't. It's not a sustainable model to constantly find yourself in that position. And the Jets, unfortunately, have, I don't want to say ruined young quarterbacks by doing that because I think a lot of those guys simply didn't have it anyway. Uh, when they got a second shot somewhere else. But for Zach Wilson in year two, you're seeing them commit to the run. You're seeing uh, the offensive line get better, not great, but better. You're seeing them be able to scatter the field with multiple uh, pass-catching talents at wide receiver and tight end that are efficient, where Zach Wilson just has to hang in the pocket, wait for his, you know, his, go through his reads and wait for things to open up and get the football there and let those guys make plays rather than rolling out, making five guys miss, chucking the ball downfield, taking hits, play after play. So Zach Wilson is playing within the offense, and I think that's great news for the Jets because that's something he struggled with at times last year, especially the first half of the season. And since his return, he's done an excellent job in doing that. It just kind of makes you, you know, with what you saw from Brees Hall last week and what he's done here the last couple of weeks, it just kind of it makes it all the more puzzling that when Joe Flacco was in there that they're whipping the ball around 50 times a game when this is this is, should have been even more the, the kind of game plan when, when Zach Wilson was out. Yeah, it's a good point. And I, I think there's a couple things to it. I will say quietly, Wilson being able to at least reset the pocket or take a step left and make someone miss or buy an extra second here or there can save plays. And I'm not saying create 50-yard touchdowns. I'm saying at times 
and be able to put himself in position to check the ball down or throw the ball away, where Flacco, the age he's at and the type of skill set he's always had, has lacked any sense of mobility. And at 37, 38 years old, whatever little mobility he wants had is completely gone, that if the offensive line is not perfect, then things were over for him quickly. And I think teams really sold out on that. And it does go back to the Jets' game plan being kind of puzzling at times as well when Flacco was under center. But I think at the end of the day, I know he had a good stretch there against the Browns to win them the game, but it's hard to sell a 37-year-old Joe Flacco as a viable uh, long-term backup in this league. And the Jets are very happy that Wilson's back under center. How about the offensive line? You know, it's, it's been obviously uh, a work in, in progress because of the injuries and guys in and guys out. It, it kind of felt like against Miami, who does have a lot of injuries, but not really a long – I mean, their defensive line is, is pretty good. Uh, have they found something here, at least for, for, the, for the near future, in terms of sustainability? I think so if they could stay healthy, which has just been their biggest problem, right? Max Mitchell flashed when he got to play the fourth-round rookie at right tackle. Now he's on the short-term IR. Dwayne Brown returning has been a really, really big boost to the left side of the line. And then when you look at, obviously, what Vera, the stability that Vera Tucker, uh, McGovern, and Lakin Tomlinson have had. Vera Tucker has been the best of the three by a mile. He started a game at left tackle. He started a game at right tackle. He started multiple games at right guard. Coming off a rookie season where he played over 1,000 snaps at left guard, that is, that's pretty rare territory in the NFL. You're thinking of guys maybe as Zach Martin, maybe Elton Jenkins, who the Jets will see on Green Bay this week. Those are the only guys in this league that are able to do that and able to do it at a pretty high level. So he's in special territory. Uh, George Fant being hurt has been a tough situation because Fant had a rough summer coming in with a knee injury, being moved around all over the offensive line. So they're just trying to find stability in anything that works. But honestly, it's way better than expected considering the amount of injuries they've dealt with. And I think that just goes back to ABT being the Swiss Army knife that can literally fill in any gap they have on any given week. All right, so we talked about a lot of the young players, obviously the quarterback and Sauce and all these guys. The one guy that is not really fired, at least not yet so far, has been Elijah Moore. There's been a lot of hope that uh, you know this was going to be a big year for him stepping forward. Has not, you know, he just has not had the opportunity. Again, it's only two games. What do you see with Elijah Moore and his role in this offense? He's out there running a ton of routes. Now, the thing is, they play him on the outside. They really only put him in the slot. I would say around 20% of the game or 20% of his reps. So that's a pretty low amount. They like Garrett Wilson there. And Garrett Wilson has flourished in the slot. And when Braxton Berrios gets on the field, he plays in the slot. So Moore is a smaller guy that has speed. He's being asked to play outside receiver. Defenses are giving him a decent amount of tension because they know the kind of talent he is. And there's some times where he is open, but Zach Wilson is more comfortable keying in on Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson. And it's hard to overly criticize Zach Wilson yet because a lot of those situations where Moore is open and he throws to someone else, it's still working. So I think it's just a matter of these guys did not have a summer together. It's a matter of the fact that I think Moore ultimately would be a better slot, even though he's a solid outside wide receiver. And I think it's the fact that, now teams are ready for Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and the reemergence of Corey Davis, where a lot of that attention Elijah Moore is commanding on the outside, which is great for the team, not great for Elijah Moore in fantasy, has to shift elsewhere. And you're going to see him involved on shallow crossers and deep outs this week, where I think he finally gets going. Hey, Connor, thanks for a couple of minutes today, and we'll be checking you out tomorrow on SNY. Or, yeah, Sunday on SNY. Absolutely. 
Thanks, Absolutely, man. Absolutely, Gordon. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. And it looks like you're going to have to enjoy a, a Braves loss along the way. So that's always good for you. So there's Connor Rogers, part of the SNY pre and post game show as the Jets get ready for the Packers tomorrow. And, uh, of course, uh, look, I mean, it's amazing how things have changed here in the last couple of weeks, right? I mean, when Zach Wilson got back, I mean, think about it. Going into the week four, there were still some people, well, you know what, going up against the Steelers, maybe maybe this is a week not to bring Zach Wilson back. Maybe, maybe you stick with Joe Flacco because he's the experienced hand, and maybe you don't go to the, the, the court of, you know, Zach Wilson right away because – He's going to have to – the offensive line has been in such tatters and the Steelers' pass rush is going to come after you. But look at that. Two weeks, two wins, and uh, the world is feeling a whole lot better when it comes to the New York Jets. And if they are able to get a win in Green Bay, man, look out. The sky's the limit. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.